Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider inside TCO Performance Center. Matthew Collard here. It is another Raggets roundtable. Will Raggets has returned to us, though he is very sad about the Minnesota Twins, but otherwise ready to lead the roundtable. And of course, uh, Andrew Kramer of the Star Tribune. And uh, we are just getting done learning that Dan Chisena did not like his nickname. And that is the big breaking news we have here today is uh, I never saw it coming. Uh, they, they brought Dan Jacena back. I thought, okay, well, Hot Sauce has returned, but Matt Daniels informed us that we can no longer call him Hot Sauce. And uh, it's, a, it's a difficult day here inside the building. Yeah, it, it's peak, <laughs> like, one and four stuff. We get uh, Thursday mornings, we got the coordinators and Wes Phillips and Brian Flores. And uh, the most entertaining part was Matt Daniels telling us that uh, Dan Jacena does not like his nickname. So do not call Dan Jacena Hot Sauce and uh, everything will be good. Yeah, that, that that is the angle you needed to the Justin Jefferson hamstring injury that no one no one knew that you needed, but you needed it. That's true, yeah. And it was a big roster a week this week with Sean Mannion returning and uh, Dan Tresena as well. Uh, did you guys have nicknames? You ever had a nickname? I, I don't know that I've never known you guys by a nickname. Not really. People just call me Raggets, like my, it's my last la- name, because it's more same. interesting than my first name. Yeah, Kramer's my last name, so it's always just been It's a Kramer. good, like, dude yeah. thing, just use the last names yeah. instead. All right, well, we'll get into the football talk then. <laughs> Let's, no one has a nickname. Let's talk about, I, I think we have to talk about kind of the big story here, which is life after Justin Jefferson. Not after Justin Jefferson, but without Justin Jefferson for at least four games. Sounds like there's a possibility it could be more than four games. Um, a, a somewhat significant hamstring injury. I guess there's there's two elements to it there's the short term how does the offense change right now who needs to step up what does it look like without jefferson for the first time uh since he came into the league and then we can get into the long term as well of what this could mean for this season and and for the future but i I think starting short term like do we think obviously the vikings offense is going to change because so much of it has been built around jefferson and the coverage that he dictates and all these things but how much does it change really what do they kind of have to do to overcome losing one of the best receivers in football. Yeah, I just think some of the concepts that were used to spring other guys open are going to have to change when it's K.J. Osborne or Jordan Addison in that X role, in that split end role. Um, K.J. said it was him who stepped into that role at the end of the game uh, on Sunday. I do think with a whole week to game plan, you could see Addison in more of a featured role in some moments, but none of those guys are going to dictate the coverage that Uh, Justin does and it was interesting to hear TJ Hawkinson say yesterday that this could be more like my Detroit days when I was back in blue in terms of drawing now the safety over the top the extra coverage I think playing off of Hawkinson potentially if they can get him going early in a game and force that kind of coverage could help but it's just going to have to come from all these hands and it's going to have to come from do they go to more two tight end personnel and really try to lean on the running game against a Bears defense that can be vulnerable uh, do they try to, as KO likes to say so many times, O'Connell reinvent themselves, even though they never do, and they lead the league in pass attempts? Um, can they do, somehow morph into more of a balanced team? I think those are some of the biggest ways you could see a change outside of the target shares being Addison, Osborne, and those guys. Calling him KO, not a nickname. Those are just the not- letters <laughs> in his name. There's, <laughs> like, there's a bar for nicknames. Well. I watched back the game very closely looking at Jordan Addison and I was really impressed with what I saw in the way that he got off the line of scrimmage, because you know what everybody's going to do to him. They're going to say you're 170 pounds. We're going to press you. We're going to be physical with you. And there was an in-breaking route that maybe went for eight yards. So nothing super memorable where he was pressed up 
and whoever the corner was was really physical with him and he swatted the guy's hands away broke out of the other route and was open for a completion and then there's another one on a, i think it was maybe a fourth down or third and long where he has to run down the sideline so he's up against the boundary like this is the hardest thing to do for a receiver he kind of breaks in snaps it back out he's on time with Kirk Cousins i mean there was some high level stuff going on with the way that Jordan Addison played and to me it's like well he's got the talent as a first round draft pick. And yeah, I don't know whose role takes what role in the offense and so forth. Maybe they want Addison to stay with where he's at and have Osborne, the more experienced player make an adjustment, but this is not a football team that has one wide receiver. And well, they have acted like it at times with Justin Jefferson, especially over the last few years. Uh, last year, I would have said much more. That's kind of the case, but it is that now. And that's, why you draft Jordan Addison in part is because you never feel like you are left without someone who can beat man coverage with KJ Osborne. A lot of times it has to be a little bit schemed up. And if he gets the ball in his hands, that guy can get moving. Right. And he's a problem with the ball in his hands, but Addison is a never not open type of player. And I am very interested to see how that kind of plays out now. But I think that the expectation still should be that your passing game functions properly even without Justin Jefferson, because that's why like you built the team this way. That's why you didn't draft a corner. That's why you drafted him instead, because yeah. you wanted to have that as an option in case you lost Justin Jefferson. Yeah, I think that's really the, the maybe silver lining of this whole thing is we get a chance to see Jordan Addison now and everything that they have for planned for him, their vision for what he can be in this offense, evaluate him as really kind of the feature guy. And KJ Osborne is going to be an every down player because he's, good run blocker. He's a reliable, good hands for the most part, things like that. But yeah, I think the most impressive thing is what you brought up with Addison early on. You, you saw on the tape, if, if the corners could get their hands on him and jam him, he could get thrown off his route and that affects the timing of the offense. And that affects, you know, your ability to get open uh, before Kirk cousins is getting sacked. It, throw, look, looking at the tape against uh, the chiefs, there were, there were moments where that still happened. But there were also moments that, like you mentioned, where he was able to do that and beat it. And it, it, Kevin O'Connell mentioned it this week. He's really kind of getting better at some of that release stuff and being able to counter what the corners want to do with you when you're a young receiver, you're an undersized receiver. So I'm excited to watch that to see, you know, I think they're going to move him around as well. That's a good way to kind of avoid some of that. And you can scheme up some ways to avoid press. Um, but yeah, I think you just got to let him loose. I mean, the, the stat line didn't look crazy. It was like six catches for 64 yards, but two catches on fourth down, a catch on third down, a touchdown where Kirk Cousins trusted him to get open and threw with anticipation. So I think you see that connection coming along. And I, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch and see what he looks like in this Justin Jefferson-less offense. Yeah, and Kevin O'Connell said after the game that Addison's day should have been even bigger, yeah. quite honestly. And that's a reference to Kirk Cousins, I think, missing him on some moments where he was open downfield, even on plays where they gained first downs to other guys that could have had bigger plays to him. And I think it's going to be interesting in Chicago because I think the Bears defense is just what they, the doctor ordered for them because this Bears defense doesn't get a ton of pressure. Uh, they're not good in those kind of critical key passing down moments of, of forcing the issue on quarterbacks. And Kirk, to me, has been part of what's been holding them back on offense a little bit here. And without Justin Jefferson... Um, having a clean, confident Kirk back there is going to help them just as much as anything. Do you guys want to talk about TJ Hawkinson? Because it's becoming a thing. I think we have to. And once something becomes a thing, then every single drop pass, every single play where it's something's not perfect, then becomes 
someone on the internet's going to screen grab it and send it out. And this, you know, this sort of thing that the momentum builds uh, with a player, especially when your team is one and four, no one cares. And no one would remember those drops at all. If they had won the game against Kansas city, it'd be like, Oh, who cares? But when you have some key drops in a game like that, then it becomes the center of attention. And I think what the discussion is, is are they regretting what they decided to do this off season? Personally, I think that's going way too far. That's a massive overreaction. And I never expected him to be Tony Gonzalez. I, I never thought that TJ Hawkinson had these unbelievable mitts like we used to see from Kyle Rudolph, who just had incredible hands. He, I think Rudolph went like three years with one drop. You just got used to that. But I think Hawkinson is more of a, a freight train type of player, like get the ball in his hands and get him moving. than he is a contested catch rise up over someone and moss them type of player. But the, the fact that he has not been as effective as maybe you would have expected, he's still averaging under 10 yards a catch, which could be done by running backs. So how are you guys feeling about him going into this game? Yeah, it's one of those things where generally with any discussion or take or whatever, like I fall somewhere in the middle. I think it's a real thing that, that we have to discuss that like, they would tell you and he would tell you he hasn't played as well as he would like to so far. It's not that there have been these egregious wide open drops like these are contested catch situations. We saw him do that last year in that, that first Giants game, go up over a guy and catch a touchdown. I think maybe people expected that he would be better in these those situations than he has been this year. Like each one on its own has not been super awful. They, they, they vary in their degrees of difficulty. I thought the first one on that third down uh, after the Chiefs scored was a really tough one. Just the timing wasn't there. But there were two more later in the game where you're like, I want my my tight end that I'm paying this amount of money to to make at least one of those plays. Just the aggregate of not having really done it even once this year. I mean, maybe there's one I'm forgetting, but it's been a lot of short stuff for him is where he's kind of had his catches this season. So I, I just fall somewhere in the middle. I think like it's a real thing. He would tell you he wants to play better. He wants to make these catches. I think he's capable of it, but like he's also still a valuable player, even when he's not coming down with these because he is kind of not unique, but his skill set as a tight end, like he's, he's a little bit shifty. He has some, some twitch to him, which you don't often see. Kyle Rudolph did not have a whole lot of twitch to him, especially later in his career. TJ Hawkinson, we, we've seen like he can get open a line from the slot. He's not a true inline tight end. Um, and I think they're really going to have to lean on him, especially without Justin Jefferson kind of in the middle of the field. And then, try to still generate some explosives with them. Yeah, I think TJ needs to to play better, obviously, like you guys are talking about with these catches. But I also think Kirk needs to stop throwing as high as he has on some of these. Yep. Kirk sailed to pass over Jefferson on a bubble screen that ruined a play, had a couple high passes to Hawkinson. We've seen it throughout the year where that kind of creeps up on him for whatever reason. And frankly, Kevin O'Connell in this offense needs to find a way to make Hawkinson a featured piece in the red zone. If you struggle scoring touchdowns in the red zone, you have a six foot five, six tight end. What are you doing not throwing to him in the back of the end zone just high up uh, where only he can get it? I don't understand how that is not more of a part of what they're doing. And and I, I think you've got a lot of weapons on this offense, and it's easy to argue, well, why isn't the ball going here or there? But his skill set, his size, I understand he's not Kyle Rudolph, but you can still use him in some ways to put the ball up over a linebacker or something like that. The sad part is it's not going to get easier for him now without Justin Jefferson, uh, as Hawkinson mentioned earlier this week. But I do think that if he finishes the season with a bunch of catches for eight yards, then it wasn't a success. Like, yeah. because uh, we were just you know talking with Alec Lewis uh, in the media room about just the, 
you know, is he worth it versus an average tight end that you would pay $2 million? Mm-hmm. And so far, the answer has been not really that this year. I mean, not at eight yards a catch. Yeah. I mean, you, you need more of a downfield. Now, of course, if he doesn't drop a couple of those, then he's not averaging eight yards a catch. Then it would have been a 20 yard gain on one of them where they end up going three and out. And there has been a couple of comments by him and kind of Kirk Cousins or Kevin O'Connell about them not being on the same page, which I think is really odd, considering that last year they were instantly on the same page. So is the football not being thrown in places that we expected from Cousins, which I think does bring us to a bit of a discussion about Cousins last week. When you go back and watch that game, this is he just was not playing on time. There's a lot of balls that were not as accurate as that we normally expect. And that is not a great defense. It wasn't like he was pressured all day long. It wasn't like, oh, well, they hit Kirk early and threw him off. That wasn't the case. And I just wondered, like, is there something happening or is this just our typical, oh, the Kirk roller coaster? Because it has seemed just a millisecond slower than it was last year with some of the times where the ball's coming out and so forth. I don't know if that's what you guys have observed or if I'm just having recency bias coming off that game. I think it's a little of both, but I, th- I think it's a real thing. I mean, the most glaring example was the pass to KJ Osborne and over the middle of the field that, that could have been a touchdown. Perhaps the, the timing wasn't there. KJ ended up almost ducking at the football because he looked up and it, and it was already kind of behind his head. It's just been kind of ball placement things, timing. It's not really what you want to see when there's been so much talk this whole offseason about, oh, year two in this offense, year two in this offense, we're going to feel really comfortable and and be kind of firing in all cylinders. And there have been times where they've looked really good. I mean, you, you still look at the yards per play metrics, and they're right up there. Like, they've been efficient moving the ball. They've had some explosives. Justin Jefferson, obviously, the main reason for that. But there's just been certain things where, yeah, they, they don't look perfectly in sync. I don't And I don't think, like, I've had people or I've seen people say, like, oh, Maybe TJ Hawkinson shouldn't have uh, had an ear infection in training camp and they should have got more reps and maybe they should play in the preseason. Like you go back to last year and yeah, you're right. They, they looked great right away in that Washington game when he had been there for like 72 hours in the building. So I don't think it's really that. I just think what whatever it is and, and with them not being on the same page, they got to figure it out. And a lot of the blame does have to go to Kirk Cousins and, and kind of not putting the ball uh, in places where TJ Hawkinson has a manageable opportunity there there it's, it's on both ends. Cause he's got to come down with some of these, but uh, it's also not purely on him. Yeah. And I do think we've seen pressure affect Kirk um, throughout his career here, obviously, yep. but we're seeing it this year in a way that I think is causing him to get the ball out quicker unnecessarily at times, or at times he's evading and rushing out of a pocket he doesn't need to run from. Um, and it's, it's just extending and breaking down plays. And I thought the offensive line played really good on Sunday against Kansas City. And a lot of the hits that Kirk compiled were unblocked pressures where they got him to throw hot, where he needs to get the ball out. And then he's not doing it for whatever reason because of whatever he's seeing downfield. There was one play there at the um, – I think it was in the second or third quarter where it was a four yard catch by Hawkinson, like you guys are talking about, but Addison is coming open on a little option route underneath and the blitz was coming from that side. So right where Addison's coming, the blitz is vacating that spot. And Kirk, instead of reading that standing confidently and throwing into that area evades to the other side of the field where Hawkinson's like triple covered in the flat for four yards, even though Cam Akers picked up the blitz, the pocket was there, and he could have had a big play to Addison, who shook a guy to get open. Those are the examples of things where you're looking at this and saying, this guy's 34 years old. Like We can't be dealing with this if you're an offense. If he doesn't trust that to be there in terms of the pocket, the protection, the offensive line, that's a problem for everybody, including TJ. 
Make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. Order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame one hour before NFL games and get ready for some football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Folks, we are going all in on prize picks this football season. Every week we are playing and testing out our skills here on Purple Insider to see if we could predict what numbers players will put up every Sunday. If you haven't heard of it, trust me, you're going to want to check it out. Prize picks is the easiest and best way to play daily fantasy. Instead of battling against thousands of other players and people who spend their entire lives doing fantasy, all you do is pick more or less on between two and six player stat projections so say a quarterback's number is 250.5 yards go more or less and bang you are playing and you can pick from hundreds of players and numbers this football season the cool thing is that it's quick and easy and does not cost an arm and a leg you can turn ten dollars into 250 just like that again the perfect way to fit it into a busy day click click and you're playing this isn't just something that i like you're going to hear us doing every single week prize picks on the show on purple insider so go to prizepicks.com purple and use the code purple for a first deposit match up to 100 that's prizepicks.com purple with the code purple daily fantasy sports made easy Well, it pinged in my mind about him getting another trainer this year and talking about how, well, man, I should have done this a long time ago. This was a really smart move. And I guess partly I thought about the Netflix documentary and how, boy, they really chronicled all the times he was crushed last season. And that KJ play that you mentioned, the reason he speeds up, as it seems, the read and throws it right behind his head when he's not looking and isn't supposed to be like the route it looks like on tape is where he sort of sells it to break up field and then snaps it back inside. So you wouldn't have your head around. Cause I saw, of course, you know, Twitter or whatever, but it's like, he's got to get his head around. Like, but when you actually watch the route, like that's not how it's run. That's not the timing of it. All these things have landmarks, places, technique, and KJ was doing what he was supposed to be doing, but Kirk felt the pressure from his right side. And it wasn't actually there. It was just that O'Neal got pushed back initially sort of took that initial push he like hopped back a little yeah. bit to anchor himself, which is really good on his part that he never gets bowled over. But Kirk just sort of felt that and was like, nope, getting rid of it. And I wonder about the accumulation of the car crash hits from last year. If that started to kind of play into, I really don't want to break my ribs again. And, and, and that is not to say that he's intentionally doing that, but I think it's just, if anyone's ever been in a car crash, I got rear-ended one time. And the next time you pull up to a stop sign, you're like looking in the back. You know what I mean? Like there's a natural impact that's happening. That doesn't mean I think he's playing bad or having a horrible season or anything. There's just these sort of micro moments that have made me wonder if that's kind of played into some of the offensive inconsistency. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want to use the phrase seeing ghosts or anything, but there's been, there's been some of that where the pass protection this year, early in the season, Ed Ingram was still, um, losing some of those one-on-one pass protection reps. I thought he played uh, one of his best games against the Chiefs. The whole line played really well. Chris Jones just 
roasted Ezra Cleveland off the line at one point um, to the point where it was like, I, I don't even know if Ezra was like doing the wrong thing or something. But uh, for the most part, they held up well. They've given Kirk time. He has to be able to kind of sit in there, trust his routes, trust the concepts, trust what, what's going to develop downfield and find it. And you're right. There, there were some moments on tape of taking the underneath stuff when maybe there was a chance for an explosive. I don't think it's been a huge issue this year, but all these little things with the offense – because the margin for error is really small when you're turning it over so much and, and your defense is getting beat, like these little timing things and, and Kirk and TJ and, and KJ and Alex Madison has a few drops. Like these things just make it really hard to sustain offense and to score the points that you're going to have to when uh, your defense is still a little bit short on uh, on talent. I think all these little things add up too, to um, into the this offseason where Kirk is going to be a free agent and uh, those contract negotiations that the team and Kirk went through once again last year that didn't come to a deal. I don't see how Kirk is playing his way into a much bigger deal right now. And if he doesn't have Jefferson for a few weeks, um, it, yeah, I just it seems like this marriage Kirk and the Vikings could be coming to an end, especially if this continues. This, I mean, this this time without Jefferson is really going to be a huge test yeah. like for everybody and you know, for Kevin O'Connell as a play caller, for Kirk Cousins, for Jordan Addison, for KJ Osborne, TJ Hawk, like everybody has to take on a lot more when you lose a guy who draws so much gravity and is so good at what he does. So I'm curious. It it could go well, and we're like, oh, Addison looks great, and TJ's stepping up and making these catches now, and, and Kirk's trusting everything. Or it could go not so great. And I, I wouldn't be too surprised either way. Well, I, I wrote an article today that I called uh, Kirk Cousins last stand. Like this. This is his last opportunity to change the I, I don't I don't like the word narrative because it implies that whatever is not true. It's true that they've won one playoff game. And but the, and I, I guess I would say the discussion or the fact of the matter, mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is that not beating the Giants last year took a 13 win season and sort of tossed it in the same closet as the other ones that failed. And now you're one in four and you are very close to throw in this season in that same same closet of the failed Kirk Cousins era seasons. And I'm not even sure we can even call 2019 a success. I mean, one playoff win, but we were talking about the coach potentially being fired going into the last week of that season. And one great Kyle Rudolph catching a coin flip in overtime in New Orleans changes that and makes it look a little more successful. But ultimately, this is it. Like these, the, to, I mean, it could be over Sunday. Yeah. For for the opportunities of Kirk Cousins to say my time there had success and not that I think that this is going to be an NFC championship team, but the standard is pretty high for what we would have to see this year for it to be that. But at very least, if Kirk Cousins turned this around and got them into the playoffs, went from one and four to the playoffs, I would really respect it because it's not a great team. I mean, they, they have what three turnovers they've caused this year. It's not a great team. And he would have to play like a franchise quarterback. I don't think it changes the future, but I would really respect it if he sort of dug in and 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 found a way to get past the New Orleans, the Atlanta, pull an upset against San Francisco, whatever it's going to take to get back in the playoffs. Because otherwise, when he does exit stage left, I think we're all going to go, well, what, what were you doing six years ago? Because that kind of flew by in a flash with not a whole lot that was memorable. I like it. This is this is what the roundtable is for. Getting getting fired up. I, I I'm with you. This is another. They had a, a, a test, a kind of back against the wall moment, uh, going to Carolina, and they won that game. And Kirk played pretty well in in spurts there. They didn't have to pass the ball a whole lot. 
this is another one where like, yes, this is two one and four teams, but this is like a playoff game. It's a survival mode type of game. You have to win this because if you lose and you're coming home and you're playing the best team in football, the 49ers who have just looked absolutely dominant on both sides, like the season's over. And that's how we were going to feel if they, if they lost to the Panthers, which by the way, they came kind of close to doing. So if, if they can't go to Chicago and this is a team that ranks 31st in uh, EPA per play allowed on defense only ahead of the Broncos. It's a team that prior to last week against the the commanders hadn't done a whole lot in offense. And you're getting all the Chicago radio shows talking about is, is, is the Justin Fields thing, just a, a miss a bust. Like you have to be able to go win this game. And with, with that said, without Justin Jefferson in a, in a play soldier field where the Vikings always seem to have some trouble. I don't see it being a kind of smooth ride for them. It's going to be tough. So it's going to really, as it always does, it's going to fall on Kirk Cousins' shoulders to lead them and find a way to get this done without number 18. Yeah, this is quite the crossroads for the Vikings and the Bears because two years ago it was both teams talking to Ryan Poles, who is now Chicago's GM, who Chicago hired just before the Vikings had a chance to hire him. And then they go with Quase Adolfo Mensa shortly after that. So this is a crossroads game of, Okay, if you lose to the Bears, you're basically saying the Bears tear down and rebuild has happened quicker, at least in that one microcosm of a game, has happened quicker to a success point for them than it has for you, because now you're going in the opposite direction at one and five if you somehow drop this game. And by the way, the Vikings wanted Justin Fields uh, the year that he ended up going to Chicago. So if, if he looks good against a Brian Flores defense and they look like they're turning the ship around and ascending while you're going the other direction it's going to feel pretty bad at the, at the seller of the NFC North. Yeah. And then there is a discussion. I think that if you pulled the fan base and you asked, would you rather they lose this game? There's always going to be a big portion of the fans that say never, never, never root against my team. But I think there would be a high percentage that said, you know what, for it to be over, and for us to know and looking at the next draft class and all those logical arguments. And again, I, I'm not saying you should ever root against your team. Like you don't have to do that. Uh, but there's also an element of just factually speaking, mm -hmm. losing this game would put an end to any of that whole, Hey, what if they come back and end up seven and 10, which would be my prediction right now, by the way, that they win this game and they end up seven and 10. And that's not a great outcome for you because then you don't get your pick of the litter of the quarterbacks or you're having to give up a lot of yeah. draft capital to move up to get the potential quarterback. And I think that over the years, especially since the Philly process thing happened with the 76ers, I just think fans have become really aware of timelines and really aware that sometimes having it come to an end is not a bad thing. Kind of reminds me when Zimmer lost to the winless lions and it was like, okay, Zimmer's fired. Now we can all talk about like, that was it. Now it's over. Now we all know, and we can move on. There is some element to this game. And again, like I'm not saying, Hey, they should throw the game or whatever, anything like that. It's just, if they, there's no more argument, there's no more, well, we should keep Daniel Hunter around or we should keep KJ or whatever. It's, it's full fire sale. This is a real pivot point in the season. Yeah. It's another swing moment. we talk about this heading into Carolina. Like if you win this game, we'll be back talking about, okay, you're probably going to lose to the 49ers, but the schedule really opens up after that. They've got a chance to maybe crawl back into a fight for a seven seed and, and we can evaluate um, things like that. If they lose this game, the, the discussion has to just shift to long-term like, okay, it is now it's over. You're not crawling out of this. Although it would be really like Vikings to lose this game and then like stun the world on Monday night against the six and 49ers. But 
Uh, I don't think that's going to happen with how good that team is on both sides of the ball. I don't think there's really any chance of that happening. Um, but yeah, if they lose this game, we have to talk about a possible reset. I guess the question is, do we trust this team to, and I maybe starting all the way at the top with ownership to kind of recognize when a ship has sailed here and, and recognize that it would be beneficial to bottom out. You're not, you're not going to blatantly tank. And I have, I don't know if there's any possibility of, of Kirk Cousins being like, yeah, I'll waive my no trade clause. Cause I think he likes it here and his, his family and being in this offense that he knows. And I don't know if he wants to go learn an offense on the fly in New York or Atlanta or somewhere, but you could trade Daniel Hunter. You could trade KJ Osborne. You could trade Jordan Hicks. Like you could, you could see what you can get for some of the guys who are on expiring contracts at the very least. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of the hurdles to clearing house. Like let's say they lose this game, go one and five. And you're looking at the trade deadline being like, you could be one and six, one and seven at that point. Uh, but there's a couple of tailored suits with the last name Wilf that you also have to convince um, especially when it comes to Kirk Cousins. I imagine also when it comes to Daniel Hunter and some of the major pieces on this team, um, they have to be the ones convinced that, okay, this is what's best for our franchise long-term. And I do think it would have to be a one in six, one in seven type scenario. Um, it would have to include losing this game at Chicago. If there's any life to this team, if there's, if they beat Chicago, if they beat green Bay and they're three and five, and you're looking at this team, I don't think that the wills are considering tearing it down. I think they're going to have every delusion that this team could still somehow turn it around. Um, Kirk did a good job of deflecting any attention to the question yesterday of whether or not he'd waive his no trade clause. But I do imagine if there was a, a Brock Purdy injury somehow, not that anybody roots for those kinds of things, but I do imagine that there is a scenario where Kirk would, would waive it. If for instance, his old buddy Kyle Shanahan came calling. I think that's the only scenario is if the Vikings injure Brock Purdy and then Kirk <laughs> changes jerseys oh, mid game. So on the Wilf element, I, I get a lot of questions about this all the time. I think they already agreed to this. Uh, I think by letting go Adam Thielen, Delvin Cook, in years past, they just kept paying these people. Sure. I, but I don't mean just this offseason where they cleared house with this roster and they didn't pay anyone like Delvin Tomlinson. They didn't overpay anybody to keep them around. They could have cut. They could have let Kirk go. That That is definitely part of it. And that's yeah. the competitive rebuild yeah. element. I agree. But I think they agreed to this on day one. Like when they hired Quasi Adolfo Mensa, it was, we're going to compete this year. And then a lot of these players are going to be gone. And then we're going to keep Kirk. We're going to hang around. And then we're going to draft a quarterback the next year. And at some point, there's going to be a dip in your play. I, I, I That appears to me to be the way that it was set up from the outset of when they hired Quasi Adolfo Mensa. Now, maybe it changed a little bit with Kirk because he won 13 games it's really hard to get rid of a quarterback if he wins 13 games and they have a Netflix documentary about him, but they didn't extend him. And I think in the past they would have extended him if this wasn't already part of kind of the agreed upon layout for the future. They were willing to extend him uh, for, it would have been through this year and next year. The team, the team was Kirk wanted through then what's the additional year, 2025. That's what Kirk wanted. And so I, it's interesting of how, yeah, I think Kirk maybe played his way back into their plans like you're talking about, but I, I wonder how willing the Wilfs would be at this point to accept that this is a, a true like dip and rebuild and turnaround if they, again, if they're three and five or whatever entering that trade deadline. Yeah, if, if you're one and seven, it, it's yeah. hard to really dress that up in any way and not accept the reality of that. I think you're right, though, that if they win this game, they, they go to the Green Bay and they win that and you're, you're kind of hanging around. They're going to have every inclination to try to find a way to get back into this thing. And, and, and 
want that to be the path. But I mean, Adolfo Mensa obviously knows there was a quote from him this offseason where he's like, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to compete. We're, he was just kind of describing the competitive rebuild. And he said, you know, it, it, tearing it down, it's this this way of doing it is riskier than doing a yeah. full tear down. He, he knows that. Like, that's not a secret to anybody. If you bottom out, especially with this year's quarterback class, like that, that looks really good. But there are these factors that it's just it's not as easy as just saying, all right, let's go three and 14 this year. Like, you can't just kind of will that into existence because you still have a quarterback unless you find a way to convince him that the, the grass would be greener somewhere else for the second half of this of this season. Uh, you still have a quarterback who's probably going to prevent you from winning anything less than, than six or seven games. Purple Insider is brought to you by BetterHelp. Friends, have you ever had times where you felt like your brain is getting in the way? Like maybe your brain is racing and you can't fall asleep or you can't slow down negative intrusive thoughts and you know you should look for help, but you haven't brought yourself to do it yet. Well, therapy can help you figure out what's holding you back so you can work for yourself rather than working against yourself. Therapy can be as simple as finding training methods for yourself to learn positive skills to improve your everyday mental health. It isn't just for people who have gone through especially hard times, though of course it can help there as well, but even with just dealing with the day-to-day can be vastly improved with someone helping on your side. If you think that might be something that they would be helpful to you, try BetterHelp. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com insider today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com insider. I agree three and five, they keep fighting. I, I, I do agree with that based on the schedule going after that because you could get back to 500 even without being perfect going into that final section of the season where you will probably lose to Cincinnati and then Detroit. Well, it's and really then, easy to sell, right? When you yeah. say if we had a league average number of turnovers, if a couple fumbles that were on the field bounced into our hands, if uh, a catch or two here or there, like every single loss they've had where we go back to one play, two play, three plays, they're like top five in yards per play. The the defense, uh, the blitzing hasn't really worked a ton. That's also kind of because they play Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes. Like there have been some encouraging signs on that front, especially with Marcus Davenport back. Like, you can talk yourself into it, but the reality is they're one and four. Things are not going to get easier right away, at least. And I don't know. I don't know where you go. Put it on the gravestone of all Minnesota sports. If only not for that one thing that prevented them from winning, they would have won. And that's how that's how championships are celebrated in Minnesota. (laughs) Honestly, that's the banner. I saw this after the Twins game. I'll never get used to this. I will never get used to this. Boy, what a great season it was. Huh? What? It was? Losing in what? what, How many was it? Four games? Four games. Four games in the second round is a great season when you won like 80-something? Hey, they won their first series since 2002, Matthew. I will never understand the standard. Maybe it's just a response to never winning anything that you have to grip on to just about anything. Anyhow, uh, (laughs) losing this game would actually send you in a direction where you think that the standard might be a bit higher than hopefully we come back from one and four to get in the playoff race. But uh, you guys think they're going to win? Um, I almost want to be bold and and say no. Like 
it just seems like this season they've found ways to to lose game. I mean, they have. It doesn't seem like that. That's what has happened. And, and I just I can't really shake the feeling that that might happen again. This Bears team was a total disaster through four weeks. They had a, a Thursday night game where it just things kind of seemed to click. And uh, DJ Moore had 230 receiving yards and Justin Fields looked confident throwing the ball downfield, which has been an issue. And the run game has been has been pretty solid. And now defensively, they, they've been absolutely atrocious, but they're getting back some pieces that have been injured uh, in their secondary. Eddie Jackson, Jalen Johnson, Kyler Gordon, I believe all three could be back this week. So you're not going to go there. And and I, I don't I think this is a different level of challenge than the Panthers, who are maybe truly the worst team in the league um, with a really, really green quarterback like Fields is not developed into what they wanted him to. But he still has shown at times that he can make plays. And we've seen it against his Vikings team. He can make plays with his legs, too, and be a threat um, in, in that regard. So I don't know. I I might I might pick the Bears in this one. <laughs> I, I want to be bold and predict a multi-score Vikings win. For the because, first time in a decade? Because I, I am uh, one of the world-renowned most Justin Field haters. I just don't think he's that great of a quarterback. Um, I think he's just an athlete playing that position right now and still is with a lot of great athletes around him, which helps. Um, but I just this Vikings team does stuff. It, they do stuff to screw up games. So how can I sit there and say confidently that they're going to put away a Bears team that can score in one play in 80 yards? Um, I, I, that's why I think the Vikings will win. I just think it's going to be another one where fans are, you know, biting their fingernails until the final seconds. The Justin Fields thing is very uh, difficult to peg because he will play so bad and you'll think, okay, well, this is over. There's no reason to even talk about, Ju oh, and now he plays amazing like that. And that happens from time to time. The, the concern I would have is the Vikings don't sack the quarterback very well. They did sack Bryce Young a number of times aside from that game. Yes, it's Herbert. Yes, it's Mahomes. But they don't make life that difficult. Justin Fields gets sacked a lot, though. He does. He does. There's, that is true. Was it 2021? There's a game where it was still Zimmer, and they went to Chicago, and, like, DJ Wanham sacked him three times, and yeah. he just he looked kind of lost back there. I think, like, you look at the Vikings' stats, and they're blitzing, like, 55% of the time, the easily the highest rate in the league. And the results haven't really been there. You look at the QBR and things like that when they've blitzed. They don't have any interceptions. Um, they have some sacks, but like their sack rate on blitzes is lower than you know the league average sack rate when blitzing. This is a week where I think some of those numbers could possibly go back in the other direction because it did look good against Bryce Young. Like when you have a, a quarterback who isn't really ready for it and doesn't have all these hot answers kind of dialed in the way Herbert and Mahomes do, it looked good. And Harrison Smith had three sacks and they forced the, you know, they scored a defensive touchdown. And, I don't think like I, I think it's it's a lot of risk reward with the Vikings approach. And there may be times where they get burned and you leave a, a rush lane for fields to escape or, you know, your cornerback situations a little iffy with a Caleb Evans, maybe not can, available this week if Makai Blackman gets beat deep or something like that. But I think you can force some negatives as well. So it is a good week for Brian Flores to lean into what he's leaned into every week. Yeah, uh, the thing with fields versus Bryce Young and they both get sacked a lot is that fields can run away. Uh, I don't think Bryce Young is NFL fast at all. I mean, we we saw a few times he would try to be like, I'm scrambling and then just get caught because NFL players are insanely athletic. But with Justin Fields, we saw it last year. When this guy accelerates, he goes. So even though I think they can mix things up coverage-wise, blitz-wise, they are at home so he can adjust protections a little bit better than, say, if it was at U.S. Bank Stadium. 
But I just think the athletic element is something that they haven't really faced outside of uh, Jalen Hurts this year. And uh, I think that he can beat them uh, in ways that other quarterbacks haven't if their blitzes like do fool him and cause problems. And DJ Moore, I mean, Keenan Allen ripped this mm -hmm. team apart. Mm -hmm. DJ Moore is a beast. And there's, I think, a scenario where DJ Moore goes off against this team and they lose. Yeah. We, we talk about another, like, we talk about Hawkinson, talk about guys who have been a little disappointing. I think Byron Murphy Jr. hasn't really stood out in a lot of positive ways. I think he's been fine. He's, I think he's pretty clearly the best cornerback on this team. Like Evans has showed flashes, but there's just been, like, you just look at last week, he gets beat uh, on a slant inside by Rasheed Rice, who's like an undrafted rookie or a late, late round rookie. Um, Murphy and a couple other guys were really, really deep off of Travis Kelsey on, on the second touchdown in the third quarter. So, yeah, this, this secondary has definitely left a lot to be desired. And it's, the Bears are good enough with Fields and more, I think, to possibly expose some of that. Yeah, Byron Murphy has not been as disruptive as I think we thought he was going to be when he, he comes over from Arizona and had some pretty good years, in, most recently 2021. Um, I just don't know with Chicago and, and more. And I think when you compare him to Allen and with Herbert, I imagine some of those throws he was making were sidearms. It was against the blitz, the pressure with the guy literally in his face with a millisecond to, to make it. I think this offense in Chicago is incredibly capable of making the Vikings look silly. I just would bet on Brian Flores going into this game against a quarterback who we have not seen yet master coverages, master pre-snap um, identifications and readings and setting protections. And this offensive line for the Bears has been a sieve for most yeah. of the year. So I think we're going to see, you know, probably kind of a jailbreak game where you see more blitzes. And yeah, maybe they end up springing one. But overall, I still feel confident that the Vikings have the upper hand, um, at least on defense. And they've been close, right? I mean, Flores talked about it a little this morning, like they blitzed on that play. He wasn't talking about specific plays, but they blitzed on the play where the ball went through Caleb Evans' hands and it was yeah. a Josh Palmer touchdown. They yeah. sent five or six there. They blitzed on the third and 18 last week where if Cam Bynum just goes for a PBU instead of a pick or just at least times his, his jump a little better, that look, that looks good for the blitz. It's just they, the plays have been there. They haven't made them, and that's why the numbers when you're blitzing don't look as good. There were times where maybe they blitzed a little too much and they gave Herbert just a layup, but like it, it, they're close to – really making some disruptive things happen with the blitz. It's just Mahomes and, and Herbert have, have been able to find answers and the Vikings defense hasn't made some of the plays that have been there. There's just no quarterback that you could convince me that this defense couldn't make look good. <laughs> and even, even with Bryce young, they controlled the ball 40 minutes out of that game because as bad as he was playing, they still completed short passes and got first downs and kept the sticks moving. And if Bryce Young finishes a couple of drives, we might be talking about a winless team right now. And yeah, he gets the strip sack and, and so forth. It's just that that world exists no matter what, when you can't sack the quarterback and when you can't cause turnovers because you have no playmakers except for Daniel Hunter and, and Harrison Smith. And even at that point, it's been a little inconsistent with both of those guys this year. It's just, or there's only so much Daniel can do, but there's really only been one game where Harrison Smith's been a difference maker and no one else is a playmaker. There was last year, at least Darius Smith would step up and sack a guy or Patrick Peterson would pick off a pass or somehow Duke Shelley, <laughs> but that right. That happened a lot. Yeah. And that isn't happening for me. That means that there's always a scenario where Justin Fields has a great game because you can't cause these guys not to, I, I will still pick them to win, 
with a lot of hesitation. Like the, the vibes are very different. The bears are saying, see, we're ready to prove the world wrong. And this Vikings team, I, I don't know. How can you feel good if you're in that locker room going into this game without Justin Jefferson? I don't know. I don't know what you, <laughs> I don't know what you really lean on. That's a good question. Um, yeah, the vibes are different. It's you're catching Chicago. If it's possible to catch Chicago at the quote unquote unquote wrong time, this is the wrong time coming off of eight touchdowns in two games for Justin Fields. Everybody talking about him like, see, see, we knew he was the Jalen Hurts of 2023, even though he's not all of those different things. Um, it is the, the vibes are very different. I still feel like, though, that soldier field is going to be pretty quiet if the Vikings somehow get off to the first hot start they've had all season because they have scored three points in the first quarter they, all year. They got on the board, though. That's they true. hadn't scored a single point <laughs> in the first quarter in four four <laughs> games, which is just so wild because last year I found myself like thinking the one thing you can set your watch to with this Vikings team is they're going to score a touchdown on the opening play because they're going to have some awesome first opening script for the first drive and have like all these play action and the screen pass and just marrying everything really well. And then, you know, it'll fall apart for two quarters after that before they figure it out again in the fourth, but yeah, three points in, in five games in the first quarter that that's not going to uh, do it this week against the bears. You gotta, you gotta find a way to start fast. You guys like Chicago. What's your favorite part of Chicago? I love Chicago. I, uh, I went to school about 45 minutes North of there. I will not, I will not say I went to school in Chicago. That's right. I was near Chicago in the great uh, city of Evanston. Um, but yeah, Chicago's awesome. The Chicago people take that very seriously. If you're from one of those suburbs, it's a little you're ways You're not out. Chicago. Yeah, that's. Here, I mean, we do that here too. When people say I'm from Minneapolis, and I'm like, oh, like what what neighborhood? And they're like, oh, actually, I'm from Hopkins or whatever. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I think that I think that's true, kind of in a lot of cities. But you're right; it's a big thing in Chicago because they have so much suburb area and yeah. like Chicago land. Yeah, no, I always like these trips, you know, getting to stay at least near the stadium and, and getting to walk through there. It's it's very unique having that right on Lake Michigan. I mean, it's it's such a crime that the stadium is such a dump because it is such a <laughs> such a beautiful location um, right there on the water. But, yeah, I always love these trips, even though something always goes wrong for the Vikings. And it's about to be like how the 49ers are in San Francisco. Yeah, yep. right. They're going to move this thing away. Mm -hmm from because santa clara is just not that close it's much closer to san jose which is where i flew yep. out of in 2019 that is going to be unfortunate i really love walking to the stadium it's going to be a, a fall day i think the weather is going to be garbage it's like perfect oh, yeah. for, <laughs> for oh, football yeah. Yeah. and and it's also when it's october there's been a few times we've gone there in october it's really spooky and you walk out of there, it's dark. You have to walk through a weird tunnel or over <laughs> underpass or something. And you're like, uh, what's going on here? And the, the, you know, the leaves and the lake and just the whole, it's very, yeah. it's, it's a Dick Butkus football, <laughs> you know, they're going to be honoring him. Yeah. It's, it is going to be an extremely yeah. football experience, even if the football is gnarly at times, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, I mean, something weird is going to happen. We know it's, it's the Vikings and the bears deadlock. And it's not the pa the bears of the past where like in 2019, they just dominated the line of scrimmage and the Vikings had no chance. I think this will be a wacky game. Um, it, it, the stadium does stink and the press box is terrible, but to have that view of from where we sit of the skyline, it's pretty cool. Also, I do want to apologize to everyone from Hopkins. I have nothing against you. I, <laughs> I love all the, the great people of Minnesota. You told them to shut up. That was rude. It was a hypothetical uh, of one person. And uh, that exact conversation has happened to me many times, not specifically with Hopkins. But how often are you having this discussion? Like, well, this was like a then... like in Chicago, especially thing like, uh, like oh, oh yes. I'm from Minneapolis. Like, no, nah, you're not really. But I, I knew about the Chicago. And I'm actually from Minneapolis. So I like 
get to be annoying about that. Yeah, I think. yeah. you're very defensive about this yeah. for sure. Uh, but I knew about that with Chicago, that people who say they're from Chicago, you got to check. Like, yeah. Are you really or not? But whatever. It's a thing in Naperville. It's a thing in Minneapolis. Kylie, my wife, she'll she's from South Minneapolis. So if people are from Roseville or from Bloomington, okay. they are not from Minneapolis. So it's a thing. Okay, that's fine. It, where do I? <laughs> you got? I don't want to talk about where I live, but like, uh, where do I fall into this? I, I think I'm. I don't I wanna, you don't want to give out your address. I think I'm very. <laughs> but I think I'm. I think I'm close. I if can, you're close, I I can allow it. If I can jog to the city line sure uh kylie would say you're not oh, okay um, but but you know what you can argue that with her okay well yeah. she's not invited the next time we have lunch uh anyway well we'll see what happens it's a vikings bears game after friday the 13th so only god knows uh will and andrew thank you so much for doing this and uh we will talk to you after bears and vikings from somewhere not a great press box situation for post game pods, but we will make it happen no matter what. Everyone who's still dialed in to the one and four versus one and four uh, pre game pods, we we love you. Yeah, bless. So you. Thank thank you. Football.